This is Holes to Heavens, a space where I attempt to capture all the sound and language and stories as they pertain to what I find most interesting, which is cosmos, mythos, and to psyche. And I'm your host, Adam Summer. Welcome to another podcast. You're hearing my voice recorded just days before the summer solstice of 2022. I'm up here in Chamonix. That is the bigger, warmer, more French version of my home in Colorado. This is actually Tansy's favorite place on the planet. And I can see why. I've only been here for a couple weeks though, so it's hard to make such a claim, but the presence of these Alps all around me with a quite lively culture, it's definitely winning me over, I'd say. And so I'm happy. Also, if you missed the Astrology Hub Solstice panel live last night, there's also one happening tonight if you're listening to this right when I'm releasing it, but also you can get the recording as well if you just go to the astrology hub site and you can download i'm pretty sure both of them and you can also still sign up for becoming a member of the astrology hub and then be a part of the mastery class that'll be leading and teaching in the fall where i'm going to talk about the astrological story of bitcoin actually i'm thrilled to be able to orange pill the community especially with all the fear in the market at the moment by the way, if you've been affected by the Celsius debacle, or I mean, even Terra Luna situation, my heart really does go out. It's, it's a wild experimental space, and it really does resound the idea of not your keys, not your coins, right? And so if you were affected by it, hopefully it wasn't too bad, and hopefully the lesson was learned, and also hopefully you'll be getting access to your money as well. But anyways, I do think that this bear will make many Bitcoin maximalists out of us. And it's already happened to me for the most part. And so be safe out there, my friends. To the subject of this show, which isn't really about Bitcoin or shamany at all. <laughs> it's a conversation with a new friend named Jason Scott who is really into the spagyrics work. In fact, he has a whole business around it called Feral Fungi. And he makes spagyrics with mushrooms. And I haven't personally tried any of the medicine yet. He's going to send me some. And if I enjoy it, I'll uh, become an affiliate and I'll plug all of, all, all of the medicine in the future on the podcast. But we talk a lot about his process, how he uses astrology in making his medicine. And yeah, if you go to feralfungi.com and you desire to sample some of his spagyrics, you can use this promo code that he gave us, Heavenly Fungi. That's one word. Maybe it needs to be capitalized as well. Heavenly Fungi to get a whopping 20% off of the order that you put in there. And so it's a pretty good deal that he's offering over at feralfungi.com. 
But yeah, I found out about Jason through Seija, I believe. And after looking him up and seeing what he was up to, I knew that we'd be able to have a good conversation. And I think that we did. So I hope that you enjoy what you're about to listen to. But before we get to that, ways of supporting this podcast and the work that I do, the biggest one is just leaving some stars or a review on the podcast app. If you feel at any point there's some sort of fungal resonance uh, that's happening between the two of us and you're having some sort of an epiphany while listening, all you got to do is leave some stars. And if you really are inspired, leave a review as well. Screenshot it, send it my direction, and I'll link you to a class of your choosing from my website. There's also the upcoming Constellating Psyche cancer class that we're going to be doing in two weeks and so you can even be a part of that if you share some love with a review another way of supporting the work i do is through patreon that's where the community is at that's where all the education is happening if you just go to patreon.com adam summer you can choose your pledge level and there's different classes and parlors that are accessible at each of them and so, yeah, just take a peek over there. Again, patreon.com slash Summer. Also, a great way of listening to podcasts, not just my own, but a new platform that was actually created by the podfather himself, Adam Curry, is called Fountain. And what's amazing about Fountain is that while you're listening, you can offer these micropayments uh, with Satoshis over the Lightning Network. And I really do hope this takes off. I mean, it's been amazing for me to listen to some of the shows I listen to and then just send, you know, like 500, 1,000, 5,000 sats over to the creator instead of just the stars. Instead of becoming a patron, you can just send some sats their way, which I think is an amazing development. I mean, he created podcasting and now it's this. And so I'm in. And one last thing, this show is brought to you by Solar Fire. If you want to get Solar Fire into your life, just go to alabe.com, use promo code SOMA to get 15% off of the program. And that'll do it here. Then is the conversation between Jason and I. I hope you enjoy it and I'll speak with you on the other side. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah. So where are we talking from? I'm in France. You're in Oregon? Correct. Uh, I am in Oregon, currently outside of Oregon City, so kind of southeast of Portland, a uh, little bit more in the sticks out here. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever been to Oregon City, though I used to live in Portland. Okay. A short stint. Yeah. Very good. And yeah, how we linked up, I'm not sure, but we'll just say Seja was <laughs> part of the part of the linkage in you know our interest in spagyrics and fungi and all of that. And yeah, like when you came across my my radar, I was like, oh yeah, it'd be fun to talk to Jason about what he's up to. <laughs> Definitely. Sage is a pretty good common link. Um, yeah, I think Sage is definitely how I first heard about you as well when he was doing some of the earlier interviews on your podcast. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even though spagyrics and just like the astral herbalism synthesis has been getting more and more popular, it's still nascent, isn't it? I mean, you're kind of 
in the epicenter of a lot of it, but like, what's your assessment of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, for myself personally, you know, I, I kind of stumbled across alchemy first and, and from a more broad perspective, looking at alchemical preparations and then the, the astrological side of it being one of the kind of core hermetic pillars was, was just incorporated, but not really heavily um, described so far as like, well, where are these correspondences coming from? Um, so, you know, it's kind of commonly known a, a lot of, through like Nicholas Culpepper's work that like, okay, well, this herb is ruled by this planet and you just kind of accept that. And for me, when I started, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, why is that herb ruled by that planet? And how do I figure that out? Especially for, you know, I'm sure as you've talked with Sage about a lot of like the new world plants or plants that, you know, weren't in the the old English apothecaries and the, the, the knowledge and use at the time that a lot of those texts were written. And so, um, when I, when I met Seja, he was talking a lot about that. Well, Oh, how do we kind of like look at the pattern of the plant and how it's presenting itself. And for me, I was kind of applying that same method to the mushrooms primarily, but also to the plants. And, and so it was really fitting and, uh, really foundational, but definitely still think it's, it's pretty nascent. Um, I find, find myself kind of like it, well, well in, interesting is it cause it's nascent, but it's also, there's also sort of like a Renaissance because at some point there was that gnosis and that wisdom there, but, and then it kind of got lost. Um, so it seems like with a lot of things, probably I'm sure you're seeing with like astrology as well, there's kind of like a return to some of the roots of, of where that wisdom initially came from but definitely just a wide open uh field of interpretation and and when sage was initially teaching those classes and when i was kind of like jumping on board to that and, and getting interested um i i really wasn't finding much else out there in regards to that yeah i can relate and it's something that I think a lot about. I talk a lot about with some of my friends who study this material of it is a renaissance of source that's happening, but it seems a lot of the time period that's coming forth, at least over the last decade or so, is more ancient, like Hellenistic, into the very roots of mm -hmm. these traditions. I mean, yeah. I know like with what we're speaking about at the moment, like you have, like you just mentioned cold pepper, but there's also Paracelsus and Ficino and the natural magic yep. of the actual Renaissance. And I think yep. that's present as well, but say just in my field of expertise, astrology, the Hellenistic is what is all the rage at the moment. And so that's right. going way back. And yeah, I, I mean, actually I'll ask you this question because it's something I like to ask people like, well, what do you think the astrological signature is that relates to this current renaissance oh man well that's that's a that's a really good question um i don't know i don't i don't know that i've really um i don't know if i've really put that into a complete thought i've i've definitely noticed um what you're talking about and i think there's kind of like 
there is a commonality there too. I think we're a long time with, you know, with astrology and with these other traditional ancient arts like alchemy, it was so dependent on texts that other people had written. And I think if you kind of like trace it back far enough, it's like, oh, well, well, they did it based off of observation. So it's like these texts all kind of came from people who learned it by just directly observing the thing and witnessing the patterns in nature. Um, man, as far as an astrological association for that, I feel like, you know, I feel like there could be a couple different things. The first thing that's really kind of coming to mind is, is Saturn, you know, through the alchemical and kind of like Hellenistic perspective. I, I typically work mostly with like the inner seven planets. Um, I mm -hmm. am not quite as familiar with the outer, outer three. Um, and so, I don't know, just Saturn is the first thing that's coming to mind of just kind of thinking about, you know, time and, and boundaries and also just kind of like the, the physical, of um of what it takes to observe and to witness and kind of see the the boundaries of reality but also like the potential in it so i, I don't know i'm thinking kind of like saturn i'm not really sure so far as like uh where i would go with with the zodiac style what do i mean it sounds like you you probably obviously have thoughts on this i'd be curious yeah. to hear where, where you're at with it yeah, I mean it's 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 all speculation, but sure. for sure there's there's a couple of things that do relate to Saturn of where I'm mainly at. One of them is just the slow movement into the next astrological age, that being of yeah. Aquarius, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> you being, you know, working with a traditional seven, know that Saturn is the ruler of Aquarius. It's amazing right. to me how many people that get into astrology that surprises them it surprises yeah. them that jupiter rules pisces or you know mars right. scorpio and uh it's pretty foundational to understand this right and so saturn then being the lord of this coming age is mm -hmm. is an interesting thought but also yep. saturn is said to be the lord of the golden age mm -hmm. so that would be we'll just say roughly 12,000 years ago. So a mysterious part of history because yeah. the history that we're told kind of begins 10,000 years ago, right? And so yeah. whatever was before <laughs> the younger dryas, there's something Saturnian linking these two periods. But where, like with the question I posed to you, like where my mind has been around it has been with um, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions yep. yep and how there's this really interesting elemental journey we go on every 200 years or so through all of the all the conjunctions happen in given elements so we just basically moved out of roughly 200 years of earth conjunctions with jupiter mm -hmm. and saturn and then uh what was the exact date it was like the solstice in 2020 when it happened in aquarius so mm -hmm. all of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions roughly for the next 200 years are going to be in air signs. And off the top of my head, I did a whole podcast on this and I should know, but the last time <laughs> these conjunctions were happening in air signs, is it 900 or so? Let's just think four elements, 200 years roughly. So yeah, it would be like 800, 900 years or something like that. That lands us not exactly in the Renaissance, <laughs> but in the, in, in the dark ages, but then sure. you hop another 
eight, nine hundred years, and please, someone listening, correct me if I'm wrong, that would bring us back to the last turning of the ages. That would bring us to Hellenistic times. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it's just a speculation, but mainly it's a shifting of the ages. And then Jupiter and Saturn doing this elemental change is yeah. also kind of significant. So there's that. I have friends that think it's Neptune and Pisces. I think that's sure. a little too general, even though it yeah. only happens every 165 years. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something. Maybe it's all of it at once. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I've definitely been feeling kind of like that like uh, conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn there as well of, of like, it seems like on one side, there's like all this potential and there's like this return to this gnosis that is seemingly kind of been lost or pushed aside for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And then on the other side, there's kind of like the boundaries and the limitations of the systems that have been put in place and the strangulation on kind of like the natural world and systems that, that we're kind of butting heads with um, yeah. social systems and environmental systems and everything that's kind of like creating this really interesting intersection where it's like there's kind of both happening simultaneously right so it's like the darkness seems to be getting even more heavy and especially you know i imagine some stuff in Europe, but I feel like in the U S especially, we are just experiencing just tragic news every day, every other day. And, uh, at the same time, there's this kind of like, when you keep your head down on the path and what there is to discover and what there is to learn, there's just so much more opening up as well. Mm. Um, kind of in, in light of that and they both exist concurrently. So it's true. I mean, in the U.S., being I'm from there, and yeah, I mean, I think there's a cold civil war happening, and it's very intense. And is there something oh, yeah. here? It's like, of course. I mean, like a lot sure. happening here, like especially in Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot, and I think it's important not to stray too far from what we were just talking about. But sure plugging in, trying to understand what's going on, keeping abreast with the news, all we see is the darkness. But it's yeah, got to be balanced out. And I think, you know, when we are able to tap into that and see, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of amazing developments happening yeah, on the planet absolutely. right now as well. For example, what we're talking about, I mean, like the resurrection of all of these ancient arts and sciences and making magical medicines like spagyrics that's yeah. definitely one of them in my yeah. opinion yeah for sure so tell me something because i i remember when i first learned about spagyrics one of the first attempts i had was making one with mushrooms like i had a bunch of chaga that okay. i had harvested and i yep. attempted to make some chaga spagyrics whether i succeeded or not i don't know it was my first <laughs> attempt and you know, just in the literature, like you don't hear Culpepper talking too much about mushrooms. You don't hear Paracelsus talking too much about mushrooms. You don't really hear a lot about nope. fungi. And so nope. did you happen to find anything? It doesn't seem like it. So like you felt like, okay, I need to do some discovering myself. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think, and that, that was kind of one of the most, um, 
sort of like profound things to myself personally was like, where, where does this exist? Because I was like looking at everything through the alchemical lens and the framework, it's like, you kind of look at the different um, kingdoms or the different sort of uh, organization of life based on volatility. And so you have like the minerals and then you have the, the plants and then you have the animals and kind of like layer of volatility. And then you approach each one of those differently and how you process them and work with them for medicine. And I think um, when I was initially doing research and studying and, and discovering, I was, I was really drawn to mushrooms. I was kind of like already working with them and learning about their medicinal benefits and um, was really curious where they fit into that kind of traditional hermetic alchemical framework. And I didn't, didn't really see, like you were saying, it's like, you know, cold pepper. I think I found in one of cold peppers book, he mentions, um, like agaricus mushrooms being ruled by like Mars and Aries or something like that and unfit for human consumption. Hmm. Um, and I think that is, you know, I don't, I'm not really a hundred percent sure like where the lapse is in there, but definitely there was no foundational sort of work the same way that there is for plants. Um, you know, like getting into the alchemical work and the spagyrics, there is a pretty strong foundation for plants. There's a pretty strong foundation for minerals. And there's even like a pretty strong foundation for how to work with and uh, yield various different uh, medicines from different animal um, parts and pieces. And um, I think I could only speculate as to why mushrooms were left out of, out of there. And I think, you know, the biggest thing I would consider would be, um, the sort of widespread uh, fungal phobia that is present, especially in the West. Um, but other than that, I, I don't really know. And so when I kind of set off down that path, I was talking to um, one of my favorite teachers, Robert Bartlett, um, who's up in Washington. And uh, I was doing experiments with the mushrooms because I was like, well, they're, you know, from what we know now, they're actually like, in between plants and animals and kind of if you really look at them like more closely related to animals mm -hmm. um so it would only make sense that you they have their own kind of means for processing and and the kind of whole theory be, behind um the alchemical uh sort of framework and, and working with plants right is that you can yield the universal solvent by fermenting and then distilling plants to get uh, ethanol or like a universal menstruum in the plant realm. And that's, you know, a huge reason of why we extract plants with, um, with alcohol, because uh, in theory and, and oftentimes in practice, anything that is uh, fermented and then distilled um, either on its own or with like a little addition of like yeast and sugar is going to produce uh, ethanol and then that ethanol being that universal solvent pulls the the sulfur or like the soul or the essence out of the other plant material um, or what we know is like the primary you know medicinal compounds and so with mushrooms um, it, it works that way too but there was also a thought well you know there there would realistically be a similar sort of process or application of mushrooms and I've done experiments where I've, you know, fermented and then distilled mushrooms. I've fermented and distilled mycelated grain. I've kind of 
gone through the whole gambit of like playing with all the different parts and adding sugar, not adding sugar. And the most interesting kind of mushroom spirit that I've gotten um, was from shiitake actually. And it was like smelt like straight garlic. And I was able to have one of my teachers analyze it. And it was, um, there was like five primary compounds in there that weren't alcohol and weren't water, but what they were is only kind of speculation at this point because we didn't have the proper standards to be able to tell. But at that point, you know, it's like, okay, well, mushrooms are different. So we should approach them and look at them differently. And then on a philosophical level too, I looked at the mushrooms as like, well, mushrooms are like the alchemists of nature, right? So what are they literally doing uh, in their, their primary life cycle? Fungi are like the primary decomposers and like the primary agents of transmutation and a natural ecosystem. And then all the different ways um, that we have to learn from them. So I kind of twofold um, put it together as like, okay, here's sort of like the practical way of playing with different solvents and different extraction methods and things like that to yield uh, the, the, in the spagyric model what are the three principles um and for those who aren't familiar just kind of like a quick breakdown it's like you're you're breaking each material that you're working with down into its principal parts so the salt sulfur and mercury or the body soul and spirit and then purifying those pieces and then putting them back together and that's essentially what a spagyric is in the most kind of quick and um easy form and so again, those, those methods are pretty laid out with plants. So I was doing a lot of experimenting with how to apply that to fungi. And I was also working um, with one of my buddies who I still do a lot of work with um, Peter McCoy, who wrote radical mycology and was kind of talking with, with him about the sort of like this weird lapse in, in the alchemical literature where there's just no mention of mushrooms and how potent they are as medicine and how potent they are like as an ecological agent. And he offered me a place to kind of like write an introductory article, which I um, called Alchem Mycology uh, in his book, Radical Mycology, which is this like tome on mushrooms. And man, that was in, I think 2014 mm. that um, um, was writing, writing that and then released that in 2016. And uh, you know, some perspectives and have changed and stuff, but it was cool to kind of like be able to, to offer that and to sort of like take something, uh, again, kind of going back to what we were sort of touching on briefly earlier, like, okay, there wasn't like, there was no text that I could lean on to learn about this process. So it's like, take the sort of foundational pieces of the theory and then just put them into practice through observation. And I think, um, you know, I think largely that's a, a, the way forward um, with a lot of these things. Incredible. So there's two avenues I want to explore with you with, it, with what you just brought up. One is the taboo element of fungi, especially in the West, but yep. it's also true in India and places really all around the world. And then the yep. other is these these five compounds that came from the shiitake and just, <laughs> and just the the process at which you did it so were you using the fruiting body were you using the mycelium what were you using initially 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've come up with all sorts of different ways to do like a, a mushroom influenced spirit. I think kind of the, um, the golden recipe that, that I like to use, that's like the most consistent and you can kind of know what you're getting is putting the mushrooms into essentially like a mead and then making and making like a honey spirit that's infused with the mushrooms. Um, you know, there's a longstanding uh, belief that mushrooms have a close connection to honey and being preserved in honey. And um, so that's kind of like, that's like the um, easiest, most predictable method where you're still going to get some unknown compounds, but the final uh, material is not going to be ultimately unknown like the shiitake spirit was and i still have that sitting somewhere on my shelf but um yeah so for that one i i did all sorts of experiments i had like i had you know probably like 20 or 30 different like small bottles uh, probably like 250 to 500 milliliter bottles and i was just doing super small scale fermentations with putting airlocks on i did some uh, aerobic and some anaerobic. I put airlocks on some of them for the um, anaerobic. And then I had some that I just had like a cheesecloth over. Um, some I did myceliated grain, uh, primarily probably like a myceliated brown rice. Um, some I did um, just the fruit body. And then the one, you know, the ones that actually ended up turning out the most interesting were actually just the pure fruit body with no additives. Some of them I added like dextrose to, which is kind of like closest to the, the uh, native sugar in the mushroom. Some I added yeast to, um, but that one that I was referring to was uh, just shiitake mushrooms and distilled water and uh, let it sit probably for about four to six weeks. And then um, so no mead, just in water. That was just in water. Yeah, okay. that 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 kind of like unique one. And so um, I let it sit for four to six weeks. At that time, I don't even think I had any of my own like distillation equipment. So I think I brought it up to um, my teachers. I was studying pretty regularly and working pretty closely with Robert Bartlett up in Washington and him and I would, we'd throw some just like random projects in from time to time. Um, and you know, luckily for, for me too, and for him and his work. Uh, so just kind of like a little aside here is that he was actually, um, kind of tasked. He was going to a school for alchemy in Utah in the seventies, I believe the Paracelsus research society. And then they formed Paralabs off of that, where they were producing some of these alchemical medicines on a larger scale. Um, and he told his uh, teacher and the the kind of operator at, at Paralabs, um, Frater Albertus, that he wanted to work at Paralabs. And so Frater Albertus tasked him with going to going back to school and getting his degree in chemistry. So Robert went back to school, got his degree in chemistry, and then. Um, worked at Paralabs until that went under, and I'm, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head when exactly that happened. Um, but since then, had always worked in different jobs as sort of like a, the lead chemist. And so the last job that he had for quite a while, I think he's retired now, but he had access to all of the equipment, which needed uh, pretty regular maintenance. And so 
he would always just be kind of like throwing his random samples <laughs> into the um, thing. So a lot of a lot of his work on like antimony and uh, a lot of his like oils of gold and things like that. But um, he's he also did a, some really cool work with um, like the temperament of herbs, um, going through and doing what's known as a destructive distillation or like uh, basically just collecting the different fragments that come off when you burn. Uh, just the herb down, um, which is kind of like a very crude way of of looking at and understanding the spagyric anatomy, but also he was drawing the temperament off of that. Um, Sage has got a really cool podcast on that if anybody wants to check it out, but Robert is awesome. All that to say, um, we did this distillation in his lab with the shiitake ferment and then got what I would call a shiitake spirit. It has kind of like a light almost like it looks like it would fluoresce or something it's like a slightly blue color and he he ran that through the equipment um at his work which gave us like a a chart that we could determine that it was primarily wasn't alcohol and water um but determining what it was is is a lot harder just because if you don't have the prime the proper um standards and libraries to be able to test it against then you can't really it's kind of like a guess mm-hmm. um especially for you know potentially unexplored compounds or things that haven't previously been really like um desired or um looked for and what of the astrological component because that's a big part of making spagyrics and so with this particular shiitake what have you learned of the correspondences, but also did you choose a particular planetary hour to work with because of that? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And that, that's kind of like a huge piece of the work. And that was actually like one of the most fun parts for me as well was, was doing the planetary correspondence with mushrooms. Cause as we kind of chatted about briefly earlier, it's like, you know, there, there's not a lot of foundation for planetary correspondence to herbs that weren't used in the old world um but almost nothing i could find for mushrooms and so um shiitake was actually like one of the first uh first ones that i was looking at and i was kind of like looking at the way that it grows looking at um shiitake being like one of the first mushrooms that we were able to cultivate looking at how kind of like plump and fatty they are um that kind of like brownish orange hue um and the the there had been some like pretty preliminary research at that point that actually shiitake growth was stimulated by um by electricity Hmm. and and then kind of like a postulation too that then you know logs inoculated in like japan that were struck by lightning or something would would flush more um mushrooms um and then just thinking about kind of like the abundance of flushes that you get from shiitake do you have any guesses on the number uh no on the uh on the planet planetary correspondence oh 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 well i mean if you're talking lightning and a plumpness and this and that i'm gonna guess jupiter yeah 100 (laughs) percent yep so um so jupiter was kind of like for me that that was like pretty clear and i 
think, you know, the, the mushrooms in general, I, I find I, I typically do like a kind of like a secondary and even a tertiary correspondence with most of them because I find that they're a little bit more complex. Even sometimes with plants, I kind of feel that way too. But um, especially with the mushrooms, it's like, well, fits really good like that. But um, just for the shiitake to start, I, I wanted to keep it somewhat simple. And Jupiter was for sure the first, um, first one. And then I actually did reach out um, to uh, Robert Rogers at that point, um, who, um, he wrote the fungal pharmacy and I think it's in fungal pharmacy. He kind of has like this, um, brief little, like, uh, correspondence between the different types of mushrooms and then the alchemical, um, alchemical processes. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's the, that's the only thing that I've ever seen. And it, it wasn't kind of, it wasn't, you know, it was more of like a, um, kind of like a metaphor, metaphorical association, as opposed to like, actually, how does this apply to the practice of alchemy? Um, but I thought it was still interesting. And so, you know, when I was kind of like working out those theories and playing with the doctrine of signatures, I kind of reached out to him and was like, Hey, I was kind of thinking about it. And I think, I think Jupiter for shiitake, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, it sounds good. And I think he had mentioned that he had worked with maybe like an Italian alchemist or something who had done some um, work with mushrooms and also had kind of come up with that same sort of Jupiter hmm. association with um, shiitake. So that being said, then, yeah, um, you know, that's that's where it gets really um complex as i'm sure you've kind of gone into some of those details in some of your talks with seja as well but um on the most basic level i would work with processing shiitake on on thursday um if i wanted to get really precise i would do like you know the within the planetary hours so kind of like exalting them and distilling on the Jupiter hour of Thursday. And then if I wanted to get really, really precise, I would be looking at like the actual transits and and where the planets were and kind of draw in at that exact moment um, and do the work that way. You know, I, it's kind of, um, for me, I, I personally have not noticed a ginormous difference in things that are processed um, through the planetary hours and, and correspondences. Same. Um, um, but I love using it as a framework um, for, for understanding. And that's, for me, that's kind of like the biggest, um, the biggest tool. Right. And then there's also just sort of like the deeper thought and intention that goes into it. And I feel like, you know, that no matter, no matter what the, um, you know, what the planetary hours are, what's going on, uh, I, I think has a huge influence. I mean, I definitely notice in just like my day-to-day -day life when I'm paying attention to like what, what planet is exalted in what hour, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, um, mm -hmm. looking at it. But, um, but just as far as the medicines go, especially like, you know, when, when making medicines too, it's like, you don't often have the luxury of like waiting, um, 
you know, waiting for like a specific transit to happen. Somebody's like comes and they're like, oh, I've got this acute infection, right? And you're like, oh, well, you know, it's like, looks like we need to wait for Mars to transit Jupiter and that's not going to happen. So, you know, you're just going to have to hold off. It's like, no, you need to heal that thing (laughs) right now. Right. So you're going to make it, you're going to make it. Um, So, yeah, I, I I like using the, I like using the doctrine of signatures and the planetary correspondences um, as primarily like a tool of understanding. And you mentioned Paracelsus earlier. He has this, he has this great quote um, that I really like. Uh, I'm going to kind of like paraphrase it, but something along the lines of like, when you understand the qualities of iron, you understand Mars. And when you understand Mars, you understand the qualities of iron. And same with uh, like Art- Artemisia. When you understand the qualities of Artemisia, you understand Venus. Mm. And when you understand Venus, you understand the qualities of Artemisia. So it's like this uh, tool of understanding where when you understand those uh, archetypal uh, representations, you understand the being that you're working with on a much deeper level. I, I really see it as like building relationship with it. Right. So, um, yeah. Deep. I like it. So let's play with another correspondence. I mean, whenever on the topic of fungi, which is you know, thanks to Paul Stamets and actually where I'm at, Merlin Sheldrake and fantastic fungi and all of this. I mean, it's becoming more and more on people's minds, right? But oh, yeah, there's also crazy. psilocybin, right? Yeah. And the the many numerous ways that that compound shows up in fungi. Mm-hmm. So let's use say psilocybin cubensis. Mm-hmm. What qualities can we make in playing around with that to find a correspondence to a planet right the the blueing the conical um nature yeah. of yeah. the fungi the fact that it grows on poo <laughs> yep but um, then a planetary correspondence because i have my own but i want to hear yours yeah definitely uh yeah i think this is a fun game it's not a game i often get to play with other people because <laughs> as i'm sure you know it's a small cohort cohort of us who <laughs> yeah. think think in these ways but um yeah so you know whenever i'm doing planetary correspondence work i kind of think of it and in multiple approaches right so i'm thinking of like the morphology so as you mentioned kind of like the bluing um maybe there's something to do with like the veil the way the veil falls away um the the kind of phallic shape the point at the top um what it's growing out of uh, probably would look at the color depending on what and and those things don't always influence you know the biggest things that i think about with um with psilocybin, right, is like is like the the felt effect of it, mm. and so there's kind of like a cognitive um, relationship with with that mushroom. It plays a lot on the uh, the well, one on the very physically on the nervous system, right? So there's like that uh, people using it for nerve tissue health, um, and then with creativity and expression um and eyesight through through like exactly and then through microdosing uh just kind of like their creativity and um 
and then I think about its kind of propensity for for language. And then I also think on the other side of that, the the challenges that it brings up and the um, the ways that it presents you to yourself and makes you look at yourself and uh, has you analyze yourself and kind of like puts those firm boundaries. Um, so I personally look at psilocybin with like a sort of dual natured correspondence. The two um, that I often correspond with are going to be Saturn mm. for that that kind of like hard boundary, hardship, uh, challenge, uh, growth aspect of it, and then Mercury for the the association with the nervous system and the mental health and clarity and focus and uh, creativity and expression and those types of things. Um, I, I feel like those two are, I have a hard time discerning, um, and saying, Oh, it's definitely that one or definitely that one. Yeah. Um, but feel at different times, it's kind of like within the realm of either Mercury or Saturn. Wow. Was that? I've always felt Mercury with yeah. but as you were yeah. just describing it, it yeah like the color of saturn is blue black yeah right? and yep. then like exactly shawnee in a vedic sense it started coming through and i'm like oh that's really interesting mm-hmm. how i i agree with you it can be saturn so i knew you were going to say saturn mercury <laughs> yeah in that in that sense but there's oh yeah that's that is really fascinating i mean there's a mercurialness to it because it's a trickster yeah. as well like the spirit yep of it is clearly that yeah and hmm yeah so i mean it is experimental with all of them right like you just have to sit with them you have to basically of course be a part of the entire alchemical process ingest the medicine and then see what that transmission is yeah and well that's been one of the fun things too with me for the doctrine of signatures uh, especially in regards to mushrooms, because if you've ever looked at like a text on medicinal mushrooms and then try to discern like what to specifically use that one medicinal mushroom for, it's like, it's nearly impossible for every single one of them. You get these like long laundry lists of like, oh, well, it's good for this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, but when you're working with natural medicine, when you're working with herbs, when you're working with mushrooms for more of like an intended purpose, like how do you direct it and how do you get really specific with it? And so I also like to use the doctrine of signatures and planetary correspondences as like a tool in that regard. So it's like, um, you know, for example, with, you know, say, say, you know, I don't, I don't really process psilocybin, but for like terms of the example, cause I do this with other mushrooms is like, okay, well, if I wanted to exalt like the uh, mercurial properties of that mushroom, then I would process it on a Wednesday in the mercury hour or process it in hours that are going to exalt that sort of mercury um, presence. And then would sort of with that processing timing and also with the intention that I'm putting into it, feel like it's going to be kind of like somewhat exalted towards those means. So maybe be more fitting for nervous system health and more fitting for, uh, for expression and creativity 
Whereas if I went the other way and was like, oh, well, you know, I, I've really got some like hard walls that I'm coming up against and I need to like break through them and I need to understand, or I've got addiction things that I'm like needing to transcend. And maybe I would look at processing and like Saturn. Mm -hmm. And so I work, and so I work with all the mushrooms like that, because I, like I mentioned, I kind of have like a dual, you know, usually a secondary or tertiary correspondence with each of the mushrooms that um, I work with, but I use that doctrine of signatures and planetary correspondences as a tool to, um, to understand their uniqueness um, and to kind of practically apply their uniqueness. So like with Reishi, for example, where there's, you know, for me, a very strong solar um, presence being like the 10,000 year mushroom, the mushroom of immortality, it kind of like radiates out. If you've ever looked at um, Reishi as it grows in the wild and that sort of like uh, round form. And then it's like, you know, um, dark red in the middle. And as you radiate to the outside, mm -hmm. it's like orange and yellow and then white. Uh, it has a strong correspondence with the heart and the circulatory system, but also just kind of everything. And I, it's like the mushroom of vitality, which the sun is like the vital force of the solar system. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that there's very, like a very strong correspondence there, but Reishi also has a really strong correspondence with the liver being hyperprotective and is, is very bitter. Um, so, you know, if I wanted to maybe use Reishi more specifically as a liver tonic, maybe I'd process it under the Jupiter hours and kind of like exalt that, um, sort of specific association. And so yeah. I kind of work with all the mushrooms like that to kind of like, be like, all right, this is, this is where I see them like sitting in their power. And how do we exalt that to, um, to, you know, utilize like one for myself to utilize in practice, two for individuals to be able to understand. And three also to kind of offer a tool for, I think another growing sort of Renaissance skill of like medical astrology, right. Yeah. And having, having like astro remedial, um, um, preparations. Quick question for you before I deliver the million dollar idea to, to everyone. <laughs> Sounds Sounds good. Should we pause if, the podcast or yeah. <laughs> if, if you were to make a spagyric with Silas Ivan, would the, like, would the compound remain intact throughout the process? That, I mean, that's a good question. I, you know, I've heard so much conflicting information um, and not a lot of it seems to hold any real weight. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I personally feel like the compounds that you're after would be pretty thermal stable and would hold up to kind of like a long extraction process and also hold up to an alcohol extraction. Um, yeah, but I mean, cause so, you, so, so, you can do that anyways. Exactly. So I mean, you would I think imagine. a lot of, a lot of people make tea, right. And then drink the tea. And so that's like a boiling process. I think, um, I've seen people, you know, pretty prominent people in the field be like, Oh, there's like this misnomer that you can't heat mushrooms, but it's like, I've cooked with them and they, you know, work fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I have, I haven't like, 
I haven't personally explored it enough to really say definitively, but my intuition would be that yes, um, that everything would stay intact. You would think, or you could add it in afterwards in some sense, but here's the idea. Here's the idea with, with the popularity of microdosing and the wonderful benefits that it's offering people on a whole spectrum of ailments, whether it's depression or creative blockages or learning disabilities, what have you. I mean, it's a lot that it provides, like you were saying, it's a one specific thing. It has this effect on our neuroplasticity and Genesis, right? So, yep. and also with, especially where you're at and where I'm, you know, originally from the U S and Colorado, there's a lot of yep. headway with the regulations around it all that I'm a big fan of working with the mercury cycles in a synodic sense. So for example, when mercury is retrograde and the Kazemi happens, I see that as the beginning of the cycle. And if you just have the awareness and you work with the mercury cycle like that, spagyrics aside, there is remarkable advances that can happen with any intentions you might have, say it's creative, right? A mercury cycle mm -hmm. happens like it just did. We just moved through a mercury retrograde. If you have an intention throughout it and you're kind of tuning your ear to whatever mercury is trying to give to you as an idea throughout the beginning of the cycle and you track it for the for for the entirety of it being a morning star and then an evening star and then retrograde again it's kind of profound when you just do that now yeah. if you were to make a psilocybin spagyric on the kazemi and harness it, you know, say harness one of them <laughs> for creative block, harness one of them for depression, harness one of them, you know, that would be Saturn included somehow, some way, you know, yep. just to, to have a whole line of breakthrough spagyrics for folks. And then when it becomes legalized, have a whole feral fungi line. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is all you need to take, you know, just one yep. drop a day for the entirety of the mercury synodic cycle. If you have not had your breakthrough by the end of it, money back guarantee. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I think that, I mean, I think that's a great idea. And it's also like, you know, oftentimes it's, um, I try to put as much of that intention as possible into all the medicines that we make, because I think that's one thing that is really missing from natural medicine is like, everything has just become such a redu reductionistic model and allopathic model that it's like yeah psilocybin is psilocybin reishi is reishi it doesn't matter where it comes from it doesn't matter how it's processed to a certain degree it's like there's kind of like this meaning that has been lost in all of medicine um that you know it's like i kind of, i kind of like walk this line of like definitely i think we should do something like that and then also I oftentimes get like really discouraged just seeing like the, the industry elegant being in the health and supplement industry in the United States and like yeah. going, to sh going to shows and things like that and being like, oh, these people don't really care. They're just kind of like on to the next thing. I know there would be enough people that actually care that want to want to do it, but that's kind of the biggest thing. The other thing that is uh, challenging with that is um is the fact that the regulatory systems in place in Oregon are ridiculous and kind of crazy and uh, don't honor the actual medicines at all so much as like the um, therapeutic clinical potential 
um, while overlooking, you know, thousands of years of traditional use and countercultural use and uh, things like that. So I'm not sure when that, when that window of opportunity would open, but um, when it does, you and me are going to have a conversation and we'll work, work out that timing specifically. And I think that I, I mean, I think, I think it's great. I mean, I think even, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, it's like, even, even just putting your, your feeling and your intention into the process like that is, is huge. And like, again, this is going to kind of detract a little bit, but I spent a, a, good amount of time in Nepal working with a traditional Ayurvedic physician, a Vaija over there, um, who's part of an 800 year lineage in the Kathmandu Valley. And, um, he has these like amazing old texts from his family. And one of the first things that he really said that stuck with me is like, Oh yeah. It's like, if somebody, if somebody doesn't want to be healed, it's like, don't, don't even do it. Like if somebody's not willing to kind of like put that work in for themselves, don't do it. And I watched him like time and time again in clinic, just like turn people away and tell people to go to the hospital. And I would talk to him after and be like, like, Hey, what, you know, what was the deal with that? You know, you couldn't help them. He's like, Oh no, no. He's like, I've got, or I could help them easily, but they don't want to be helped. Like they are stubborn. I'll send them to the hospital because like, I'm not going to be able to help them if they don't, if they don't want that for themselves. Mm. And so, and so I feel like that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, meandering a little bit with this thought process, but just thinking about like how, you know, beautiful a thought that that is and that intention of putting that, that meaning behind making medicine like that. And then at the same time, how people have to really be ready to receive that for themselves as well and put the intention into it because it's not going to um, affect them the same way. So it is true. You have to be full in and willing to put in that work. It's real. It hits home. I've seen the yeah. story many times. I have. Yeah. And on the bright side, we are many steps closer than we ever have before with these Absolutely. breakthroughs happening. I mean, just in yep. the UK, there's a there's a whole research center that's being built out for psychedelic assisted therapy. You know, well, like there's yeah. things happening that yeah. when we were kids, Jason, couldn't even have imagined. Oh no. Like, yeah, we I mean even, here. even five years ago, I don't I don't think, you know maybe starting to see the beginning of it with some of the clinical trials with like mm -hmm. psilocybin analogs, but yeah, never would have thought that um, a personal relationship with plant medicines would be <laughs> an advantageous place to be and kind of like the burgeoning of a new world and access to medicine. Just, just even talking about the history of my show, like I was always careful talking about all these subjects at the beginning. You know, 12, yeah, 13 years ago, even though I still did. And even yeah, now, sure. people are probably like, oh, dear, like, here's Adam again <laughs> talking about this. And it's like, hey, I mean, it, it, it's to me as important, like when I'm talking about plants and planets, which is a huge foundation of my exploration within these shows. I mean, yeah. fungi are included within that. And one of the most amazing ones, of course, 
is psilocybin. And so, yeah, yeah, it's just exciting to see and how the culture is accepting it. And I mean, as I'm sure it is the way in your world, I mean, so many people we encounter in relationship to it, like in a micro dose relationship for the most part, macro as well, but mainly the micro is the rage these days, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I mean, kind of, I kind of everything I've, I've, sort of have my head down to a large extent sort of in my own work and my own world to a large degree but yeah even just like in small conversations the ways that it's popping up and like so prevalent uh it's pretty wild mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it becomes i mean i i'm sensitive to it. it's like oh it's not even cool anymore yeah it's like yeah, when totally. was it ever cool it's not about being cool but no. like it's a it's a thing that happens where it's like well okay like just allow it to be it's amazing it's yeah. amazing period yeah that it's happening yeah. and yeah uh yeah well, so. I, I, be, I believe in the intelligence of you know that's just kind of like part of what i think part of what drew me to the alchemical path in the first place was um you know regarding regarding the life and the sort of integrity of natural beings and including plants and fungi and um, starting to learn about natural medicine and initially kind of just going down the path of like, oh, this is good for this and this is good for that. And it's like, just kind of objectifying it and being like, oh, wait, it's like, no, these things like have, have a spirit and they have a, like a, a meaning and they have their own sort of reality it's you know different than how we perceive reality and different how we relate to reality but they have their own association with it and i love that through the alchemical perspective is like everything is alive right and it's like you're regarding life itself and everything that you're working with from the, the rocks and minerals to the plants to the animals um and so there's a, a deeper sense to that as well, where it's like, I kind of at cer- certain points, I'm like, have this sort of nervousness in myself of like, Oh gosh, man, what culture is putting on to these plant medicines and the mushrooms and things like that. And then on another deeper layer, just being like, well, and they probably know what they're doing. And yeah. to, a certain, to a certain degree, just like trust that, that the mushrooms, um, you know, have the intelligence that they do and are going to sort of like to a certain degree, protect themselves and stand for themselves, especially thinking about that with all the big money coming into Oregon um, yeah, and training programs and all the things. Um, so it's symbiotic. They, I, that's a good phrase. They know what they're doing. It's like yeah. the ayahuasca vine and everything. Like they know what they're doing. Like Canada, oh, yeah. she's a sly lady. She knows yeah. exactly what she's doing. They all know yeah. what they're doing. <laughs> and it's just for sure. And, and whether and I think it's, it's altruistic, a... right? Of like, oh, we want to help sure. people. It might not even be that. It might just be like, we want to no. propagate our own consciousness. Yeah, totally. And I think that's kind of like, you know, uh, I think that's like a bigger sort of misstep of like spiritual conscious communities a lot of times too is like, a lot of times people are just so associate those things with good. And it's like, nah, it's like, just like everything, there is a, there's a lightness and there's a darkness with it. And I feel like maybe that's also kind of a, a piece of stepping back into that gnosis and that ancient wisdom is like, Oh, everything has both sides to it as well. Right. So it's like, 
there is, there's a light side and there's beauty and there's healing. And there's also a darkness that exists within some of those things. And I feel like for a long time, especially with sort of like the new age spin, um, like the new age in terms of like the late 1800 uh, approach to astrology and mysticism and things like that, where it's like, Oh, it's all good. And it's all light and it's all, Mm. you know, fluffy and beautiful. And it's like, no, it's everything. It's like light, real life experience is challenging and, and there's challenge and there's beauty through the challenge and, and there's everything in it. Um, and I think that, I think you get a lot further with that kind of like more, uh, copacetic understanding of the, you know, relation between light and dark than you do just trying to kind of go deep down one side of it. Wise words. Yeah. You've been thinking about this and the plants have been teaching you things. I like this, Jason. (laughs) Uh, so you were mentioning a few conferences or events that you've got coming up. I want to give you the space to plug it for anyone that might be in Oregon or wherever you're doing them. So what do you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, well, the first thing that's available right now is, um, we have the fungi film fest, um, which is the first international film fest dedicated to all things fungi. The uh, second one, which we um, debuted back in November, is available to stream online at fungifilmfest.com. And we are also accepting submissions uh, for the third Fungi Film Fest, which is going to be happening this upcoming fall. Um, really fun. We kind of transitioned like during the pandemic, we were uh, we were working on scheduling the the next event which is radical mycology convergence and um you know not have large gatherings so we pivoted and put the fungi film fest together and got both years have got over 100 submissions of films related to fungi hundreds of films related to fungi from all over the world and um some really creative fun fun stuff in there and and so um we've been uh, excited to be kind of making that an annual thing um by we i mean me and uh, peter mccoy uh is the author of radical mycology and then we are also in the middle of planning uh radical mycology convergence which you can get tickets to right now um at radicalmycologyconvergence.com um that's going to be the October 6th through 9th of 2022 in Molino, Oregon. So kind of Southeast of Portland as well, about half an hour Southeast of Portland. And if you've experienced a radical mycology convergence, you know, if you haven't, it's uh, something really to behold um, between the kind of connection over fungi from everything biology related to microremediation to Um, I've done, it's kind of like where I sort of started my education side of things and teaching and talking about mushrooms um, in regards to the alchemical practice, uh, doctrine signatures and correspondences to um, installations with with different sort of microremediation projects um, to talent shows to the Myco Olympics. It's just- (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, think of like a, a Myco inspired relay, um, 
race. So, so like uh, mushrooms as batons, or are you racing mycelium and everyone's just sitting there for a really long time? <laughs> Everybody has to sit there for three weeks while the mycelium <laughs> is racing. Um, no, yeah, the, um, myco myco inspired in events, I would say. So, uh, last time we had like a voodoo donuts in Portland, we had them make us like a chanterelle apple filled donut and the started off with the donut eating contest um there was like a there was like a relay race there was a um let's see there was a a spawn transfer competition so based on uh speed and cleanliness of spawn transfer um so you know you can't 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 ever know what to expect but we have all sorts of goodies plan uh international art show the much love art show um which was again art art pieces from all over the world mushroom inspired with like a opening night so um this is going to be the biggest and best year yet by far and we're really excited for um what we have in store wow i wish i could come i would definitely come and i it sounds like your main competitor but i don't know if you're competing would be the telluride mushroom festival yeah it's different it's different okay it's different yeah yeah yep um that that one's great too but we've got some awesome teachers lined up and um i feel like i feel like oftentimes the mycological world it's like you know mycelial threads and people i don't really oftentimes see it as like competition as much no that was the wrong word on my end i was kind of barely (laughs) around it but yeah, we tried to we tried to time time it so it's not conflicting with other big events, and it was kind of cool. Last time we did it in 2018, uh, the North American Mycological Association was having their big event about 20 20 miles away, so we had a lot of interplay between like the two events, and um, yeah. So anyway, that's those are kind of like the two biggest things um, going on, you know. And then you can always check out uh, our work where we make. Uh, mushroom spagyric tinctures as well as um, mushroom essences over at feralfungi.com mm-hmm. um, uh, that's kind of like the the epitome of where all of the sort of research and experimentation has come to at this point and we're always sort of innovating and coming up with new uh, fun things over there and then my well-neglected informational site uh, alchemycology.com um, it's basically like alchem and then ecology. So A L C H E M Y C O L O G Y dot com, um, where I at some point when I have the time and capacity will be putting much more in terms of writing and philosophy and things like that. Um, there's some stuff up there and um, some blogs and stuff on our site if you want to learn more about spagyrics and our process and yeah, I think those are kind of like the the main points. Brilliant. And do you send internationally the medicines from Ferrofungi? Uh yeah, we do. Um customs at this day and age can be somewhat challenging, but you know, we've shipped all over the world with um largely no problems. Um so if you're concerned, definitely check with your local kind of customs and you can always reach out to us and we'll try and help to make sure that it makes it to you. But we definitely ship internationally. Nice. And you also accept Bitcoin. Uh, Yeah, theoretically. I don't know if anybody's ever paid with Bitcoin, but we accept it. 
Nice. Okay. Okay. Well, we can talk about Lightning Network backstage and see yep. if that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation, Jason. Thanks for making the time and sharing your fungal wisdom with us. It was great. Yeah, you too, Adam. It was really great to talk and fun to kind of nerd out on the astrological side of the work. I don't, I don't get to do that as often as the other medicinal, medicinal alchemy focused side. So it's really fun to kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah, my pleasure. We didn't get on the fungi as taboo. We'll have to save that for next time. Sounds good. I'm always up for more conversations. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great radical mycology convergence and the film fest and all that and uh we'll talk at some point down the road when we're ready to put together those mercurial microdoses oh dear someone's gonna <laughs> steal the idea but that's totally okay by me i don't believe i know you should can. just just bleep it out <laughs> no no i, I, I don't I'm believe used, intellectual I'm, property rights <laughs> yeah i'm used to people stealing stealing ideas it's all good yeah they can run with it they can run with it it's all good i yep. um I've got other things in the fire. <laughs> so, Same. Yep. Yeah. All right, my friend. All righty. Bye. And there you have it, Jason Scott, everybody. I love discovering new people to converse with on the podcast, and I'm certain that Jason will return someday. And yeah, if you're out west, or not even out west, if you just desire to travel there for the radical mycology convergence or that fungal or the fungi film fest i would fungifilmfest.com check it out i looked it up not going to travel to the states for it i'm afraid but they do look like amazing events and then of course look at jason's site to get some of that medicine with the heavenly fungi code at feralfungi.com i look forward to trying it and so again, if at any point during your listening experience, you had that resonance, had an epiphany, perhaps even consider leaving some stars or a review, send me a screenshot. I'll link you to a class. If you want to become a patron and join us over there in, in the blooming community, it's patreon.com slash Adam summer, start listening on fountain, get engaged with the lightning network. It's incredible. And if you want to get solar fire in your life, just go to alabe.com, use promo code SOMA, and you'll get 15% off of the program. The music in the background is by this group I don't know much about, but I initially heard on a, on, on a, on a DJ set by this Israeli DJ called Yudan Transmissions, and the group is called S Cartel. And I love it. It's very soundtracky, but I listen to a lot of it when I'm working, and especially when I'm writing. And yeah, I thought it would be appropriate for the podcast tonight. Check them out, especially Yudon. Yudon's amazing. I really like those DJ mixes. And I'm going to leave you with a song by friend of the show, Nick Mulvey. And uh, it's from his new album called new mythology the song is called the gift just as fungi is no doubt one of the great gifts that we have been given same with podcasting same with astrology same with you my listener thank you so much for making it to the end be well be kind and evdemonia i'll talk with you next month with ann baring 
I'm really looking forward to that one. A continuation of the Michael Bajit, remembering Michael Bajit series. <laughs> so until then, enjoy. shooting stars the gods are crying tears save our sorry lives as we walk along the knife learning about the everyday remembering this life it's a gift that you keep on giving me it's a gift that you keep on giving me it's a gift that you keep on giving me Keep on, you keep on Marimor on the sand dunes Now a mother plants a tree She finds the great plains In a blade of grass In the grain of sand the sea A boy's eyes fill with tears For he knows there is such pain The world itself is growing To keep up he has to change It's a gift That you keep on giving me it's a gift that you keep on giving me. It's a gift that you keep on giving me. You keep on, you keep on. to hold and seven stories all untold seven lines in mind seven futures intertwined the night's a jungle crossing darkness limb to limb closer in the moonlight closer in the dim 